prayer. And so you know, uh, and they did a great job, didn't they? Wasn't that great? Yeah, yeah let's give them that. Yeah, that was awesome. So uh, one of my jobs as a pastor, and any of us that are pastors uh, anywhere in the world, one of our jobs is to lift you, to lift your life. And there are a lot of ways uh, that I could do that. Uh, I could lift you emotionally, and I could tell you a story, and you could go, oh, what a great story, and I was so moved. And uh, I could give you thoughts to think about, and you'd go, oh, what a great thought. That lifted me mentally. I could talk to you about your finances and how God wants to help you, and do better with your finances so it could relieve some of your anxiety. I, I, could, uh, I could do all kinds of things to help lift you. And I, I, if I did those things, that would be good. But I wouldn't be lifting you as high as I possibly could. I want to lift you as high as I possibly could. And the place that any pastor wants to lift the people that God's given them to, to guide and to, to lead is to know and love the God that made them. There's no higher place you could go to be lifted. And that's what this entire series is about. When you pray, you're being lifted to the highest possible place in your life. So we're, uh, we're looking at that for several weeks uh, this summer. I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me. We're going to uh, look at one of the Psalms in the Old Testament, and it's a prayer. And so what I want us to do is I want us to uh, pray this aloud together. So I want you to read it with me, and this will be a prayer in our hearts, and then we'll look at what it means for our life. You ready? Here we go. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, this, is, uh, this, this prayer right here in the Psalms, uh, the Psalms were quoted by Jesus more than anything else in the Old Testament. He knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. And when Jesus reached into the well of his understanding to explain what God was about, he, he almost always would reach to the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms have been a prayer book for God's people for a long time. But this, is, uh, this Psalm in particular, I would call it, um, what I'll, I'll say is a here to there prayer. Uh, here is where uh, I feel pain, there is where I feel peace. Here is where I feel conflict and confusion. There is where I feel comfort. Here is where I don't understand what's happening. Um, there is where I experience God's peace. It's a prayer designed to help us move from here to there. In fact, that's uh, one of the tasks. If you're a leader, you know that you have to, uh, you're called to help people move from here, whatever that might be like, to there. That's where you're going. That's one of the tasks of a human being, to find out, I I'm here right now, where is the there that God wants to take me to? And this is one of the prayers in the Bible that I hope uh, becomes for you, as we'll talk about this. Uh, this becomes one of the prayers that you put on repeat. You know, we're using this metaphor of texting God as a way to think about prayer. Uh, you can do this on your phone if you have an old-fashioned CD player. Can you believe we're talking about CDs like they're old-fashioned? Uh, you have this thing, you can push a button, and it's puts it on repeat, right? You like the song, you like the lyrics, whatever it was, you, oh, I like that song. Boop, you put it on repeat, and it plays over and over again. This is one of those repeated prayers. I hope you put it on repeat. It becomes one of the things you pull out, and you go, okay, again, I gotta, I gotta pray one of the here to there prayers. I'm here right now, God. You wanna take me over there, and I wanna go where you wanna go. And this prayer serves as a bridge. It offers us hope, helps us uh, to see where we need God's help, and it's, it's one of the prayers in the Bible. Now, here's, here's the way many of us pray, okay? Uh, we have prayers that I will call plumber's 
prayers. I bet you money, uh, no offense to any of the plumbers. We have a couple great plumbers in our church family, so no offense to Kurt and to Eric. Sorry, guys. Uh, but you have the plumber, a plumber's n- number in your phone. Why do you have a plumber's number in your phone? For when something breaks, right? You don't want to have them over to watch movies and play board games. You're not doing it. Like, my plumber, I think broke. Many of us, when we pray, we, have, we pray plumber's prayers. Like, God, I don't want you the rest of my life. But my life's falling apart right now. I need your help, right? We, we pray prayers that are here prayers. God, make here better. But God wants to take us there. Well, this is one of those prayers that takes us from here to there. Well, what we're doing each week is we're kind of following the same pattern. Uh, so if you're each week, we'll follow the same pattern. We're going to talk about what is, what prayer is and what prayer isn't to kind of dispel some of the myths that we carry around with us about prayer and what it means and how to do it. Uh, then each week we'll offer just a really simple tool that you could take and put into practice that week to help you pray better. And then we'll look at one of the Psalms. Uh, and then we'll, at the end of each service, we'll put, have a little lab where you'll kind of practice what we've talked about and you begin to, to put it into practice into your life. So let me, uh, let me talk to you about, just for a second, about what prayer is and isn't. Uh, it's always best to start with the bad news and end with the good news. So let me tell you what prayer isn't. Uh, prayer is not um, marketing or information. In other words, it's not uh, an attempt to persuade God to do something that you want him to do. Oh, dear God, if I could only get your attention, maybe you would do this thing that I want in my life. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not a way to inform God about things that he may not know. Oh, Mary's in the hospital? What room? I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't. Like, that's not, that God doesn't operate that way. W- what we're doing when we're doing that is we're trying to convince God. See, many of us, we pray, we think we're marketing. We're trying to convince God that, of something. You know, when someone markets to you, they're trying to convince you to give up your resources to get their product. So we think we need a sign. We're like, God, I need to market. I need to make make it obvious to God that this is what I want Him to do. I found this uh, picture of this sign right here. Uh, that's like, hey, you know, God, I, hey, over here, God, I need your, I need to give you my attention. Many of us think that's what prayer is. Prayer is marketing, or prayer is information. It's not. Uh, prayer is intimate talk. I like how Barb George, Barb and Tim lead a relationship matters with me on Thursday nights. I like how Barb talks about this. She says that intimacy means into me see. Uh, on Tuesday, on uh, July the 4th, uh, I took it as a, a day to do some work around my house. And it's a holiday, and so everybody had the day off. And, and uh, I borrowed a power washer, and uh, it had a concrete patio on the back that was woefully neglected. And uh, some little bricks on the side, and I thought I'm going to power wash all that off. And I'd, we'd had this little set of... outdoor furniture that had accumulated nasty stuff and a few weeks ago I took it to the car wash and sprayed off all the nasty stuff and it had been sitting in the garage and so I got it all cleaned out I got it all situated a little couch thing a little chair thing and uh, at the end of the day I just kind of was tired and so I just kind of sat down I sat down in the backyard just kind of surveyed my brilliant work and my son my Corbin my nine-year-old came around and uh, he came and he he came over and he uh, sat down in the chair right here. And he kind of could sense the moment. And he said, hi, Dad. Hi, son. And we just sat there together. And he kind of looked around. And you, you know how it is when you love someone, you don't have to use words all the time? You, you know, one of the ways you know that you're getting close to someone is you can be silent with them and there's, it's not awkward. Because you're You've seen into each other, and so you can be close. You know what I'm talking about? 
prayer is that. Prayer is, prayer is not talking to, to God who is the leader of a multinational corporation and if you could just get in, in on his schedule and convince him of what you need that he would do for you what you want him to do. God is not a teacher who's waiting for you to spit back all the information on the test or inform him of the right things before he's motivated to act on your behalf. God is your father that simply wants to sit down with you. That's what prayer is. Now, I'll give you a tool. Uh, this is from uh, Jesus. Jesus gave us this tool. Jesus, when his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, he, he gave them some tips on how to pray, some tools. And this is one of the, the tools that he gives to us. And this is what he said. He said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus is not, he's not giving a, a hard and fast rule and saying it has to be a room with a door. That's helpful. Uh, what he's saying is you need to find your spot. You need to find a zone where you can sit down and go, this is the place where I connect with God. Um, you know, guys, how you're, you're, we're supposed to date, if you're married, you're supposed to still date your wife. Like, I'm, I don't always do a great job of that. But I remember when we used to date all the time. <laughs> and we had, like, our spot. No, maybe you still have a, a spot. And, and it's not that you couldn't go to other spots. It's just like that was our spot. Well, you need to have that kind of thing with your Heavenly Father that made you and loves you. You need to have a spot. Here's a picture of my spot. Um, this is a chair. Uh, it's in a room in our house. And there's my books on the side there. And that's a rocking chair that's been in my family, I think, for 125 some odd years, something like that. That's my spot. I go to that spot. And uh, it's just my spot. It's just a place. It's, I can, there is a door, and I can shut the door to keep the children out, lock it if I have to. Um, but it's my spot. It's my spot. Here's what I want you to do. Here's a tool. This will improve your connection to God, your ability to have intimacy with God. Find your spot in the next seven days. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to find a spot. Okay, you're committing. You can ask him next week, did you find a spot? All right, you're going to find a spot. You're going to find a spot. Now, uh, this psalm, uh, this psalm that uh, we're looking at today, if I do my job, you're going you're gonna to always connect this psalm to that song by the Rolling Stones. If I do my job right, you'll, you'll do that, but just, we'll get there in a second. This is, this is one of those here to there prayers, okay? I'm here. God wants me there. And the psalmist describes for us what here is like and what there is like. Uh, when he describes what here is like, the psalmist says that it's things like, uh, my heart is not proud, my, my eyes are not haughty or lifted up, um, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too lofty, lofty for me. Well, what, what is he saying? What, what, what is he meaning? Well, he's just talking about this is life. When he's talking about our heart, he's talking about the things that we want. Uh, when he's talking about our eyes, he's talking about the things that we see that maybe we want. <laughs> when he's talking about the things that we think, he's talking about the, 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 the thoughts that consume our life. I mean, this is just life, isn't it? I mean, these are our, our, what we want, what we see, what we think. And what the psalmist is saying is when we're caught up in what we want and what we see and what we think, it leaves us in a stuck place. And, and we have a, a force that works against us because in our culture, what we have done is we have enshrined, almost deified or glorified or made into an idol, what we want, what we see, and what we think, we even celebrated on Tuesday the founding document, you know, of our country, the Declaration of Independence, that every man is endowed by the Creator and has the, the what is it, that we have the right to pursue life, 
liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? I mean, it's, it's enshrined in one of the founding documents of this country. And so not only do we not pause and think maybe it's what I'm wanting and thinking about and seeing might actually be taking me in the wrong direction, but we almost think it's un-American to not want more and see more and think more, right? It's, it's almost the case. Uh, but there is, when we, when we are not paying attention to what we want and what we see and what we think, there are unintended consequences to that. Uh, a number of months ago, I was working through a leadership decision that I had to make, and when I, I get stuck and I don't know what to do, I go to people who are smarter and wiser and further along than me, and I sat down with someone that I really respect and laid out the decision that I thought I needed to make, and uh, that person walked me through, very smart person, um, part of our church, and walked me through the decision, and then he said, now, now wait, now you need to understand that as leaders, that there are unintended consequences to every decision that we make. And we always have, as leaders, we have to think through what are the unintended consequences of the decision that we're going to make. And I went, oh, okay, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Well, the same thing is true of you as a human being, that there are unintended consequences for the values that you simply accept as the way things are. And you have to think through the unintended consequences. Here's the unintended consequence when we have enshrined what we want what we see and what we think is that we are always left dissatisfied. We can't get no satisfaction. Uh, they asked John Rock Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, at the turn of the century, he started what was Standard Oil, became Amoco Oil, and then it was broken up, and now it's multiple oil companies. And at one point, he had uh, about, in his own, the, the assets that he controlled, 1% of the gross domestic product of America. He was, when you do the dollars, he had, he's the wealthiest American who's ever lived. Far surpassed Bill Gates, far surpassed Warren Buffett. Wealthiest man ever lived. He's, he founded the University of Chicago. Uh, the University of Chicago started as a Baptist university and he wanted to have a great Baptist university and so he paid what in today's dollars would be hundreds of millions of dollars to build the campus of the University of Chicago that's now a world-renowned university. And someone came to him one time and they asked him, wealthiest man in the world in his day, he could buy and sell anything that he wanted. They came to him and they asked him and they said, hey, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? You know what he said? Wealthiest man in the world. Just a little bit more. He couldn't get no satisfaction. It's the unintended consequence. And the psalmist is saying, listen, 2,000 years before, we, we gave, gives us this metaphor that we're, when, when we only think about what we want, only think about what we see, only think about what we think about, that we're like a crying baby who can't ever be satisfied. We can't get no, we can't get no satisfaction. Now, there are, there are two kind of levels that create two different kinds of pressures on us when we're thinking about here, where we are right now. Um, one uh, comes from outside of us, and uh, it's the reality that in every age, uh, every culture, every time, every people group create roadblocks to following Jesus. Um, there are some good things about every culture, like our culture, for instance, cares about minorities and cares about the people who are oppressed. And anytime you follow something good, you'll eventually, it'll eventually if you, you follow it long enough, it'll lead you to God. But every age also has a, an accumulated uh, group of patterns that keep us from following Jesus. In the Bible, the word for that is the world. Uh, it's, like, it's like this. Maybe you 
Um, maybe you remember in an amusement park, the amusement park I frequented as a kid, Worlds of Fun in Kansas City, Missouri, had what they called the spinnaker. And the spinnaker was this thing, you would wait in a line, and it was this big, like, looked like a big giant cardboard tube, and there was one door in and, and one door out, and you'd get in, and they would close the door behind you, and it was only big enough that you would, everyone would line themselves up against the wall of the spinnaker, and they would say, okay, now put your shoulders back, put your heels against the wall, okay, and p- please put your hands down. And then, a- as you're all lined up around the, the edge of this round tube, it would begin to spin. And it would spin faster and faster and faster, and someone would throw up, and then it would spin faster and faster and faster. And what would happen when you did it? What happened? You would be stuck to the wall, and it would be the fun thing to do with your friends to go, hey, hey, like, because like, you were stuck to the wall, right? The world is like the spinnaker. We get stuck inside of the spin cycle, and we can't break out of it, and we're stuck in it. And, and John in the letter he wrote, he said, the world and its desires, he said, that spinnaker, it's going to pass away. But whoever does the will of my father, that person, that, that person's going to live forever. And so, because there's this tremendous pressure to always want more. Maybe you're in a job and you're offered a promotion and you go, I don't want more responsibility. I don't, I'm, I'm happy doing this job. I feel like I'm fulfilled. But you almost feel guilty for doing that because there's this tremendous spinnaker pressure to always want more. Maybe it's enough to love God deeply, to invest in a few people and to serve as many people as you can. Maybe that's okay. Maybe you don't need to be as dissatisfied with your life as you have been told. Maybe you don't need to do that. And so what the psalmist says is, is basically, listen, you don't, you don't, God, you don't mean for me to be trapped in the spinnaker that is this world. I see it for the illusion that it is, and this is actually, this here to their prayer is actually a prayer of rebellion against the way things are in the world. It's a here to their prayer. But then there's also this other aspect of here that's the, the pressure that comes from inside of me. Um, and, and we don't honestly ha- know how to function without getting what we want and getting what we see and getting what we think. Here's what we've done as a culture. We've taken our feelings and we've said our feelings are final. They are facts. And in our book, facts are final. You don't argue with facts. You do something about facts. And so we've put our feelings on the level of a fact that is the final authority on everything. Don't, don't tell me what I feel is not the right thing. Don't tell me what I feel is not okay. It's not, we, don't, we don't know how to operate without our feelings being satisfied. And here's what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, yes, your feelings are real, but they're temporary. And they're not facts. They're often barriers that you have to overcome. And you can overcome them. And so the psalmist is saying, listen, you don't don't have to be trapped inside of your thoughts and your feelings and your desires. Have you ever laid awake at night and a train of thought comes to you and then you lay awake the next night and it's the same train of thought? And then it comes back the next night and you go, I wish I could get these thoughts out of my head. And the psalmist is saying, "You you need to see them for the illusion and you need to be disillusioned with your own life. Now, you may say, what, what do you mean disillusioned with my own life? You know what disillusioned means? It means to have your illusions dissed. Who wants to go through their life, living their life on the basis of illusion? You want to be disillusioned. And the psalmist is saying, I see it for what it is. It's, it's, yeah, it's outside of me, but it's also inside of me. And it's a here to there prayer. 
designed to get us from here to where God is taking us there. Now, when he describes there, the, the image that the, the image the psalmist gives us for there is of a baby that's calm and quiet and no longer needs its mother's milk. It's weaned. You moms that have fed a baby, you know what I'm talking about when that baby will settle down and coo in your arms and they're not screaming. I remember when our oldest was born, he had colic and he would get screaming loud at five o'clock every day. And then when I would walk through the door, my wife would hand him to me and say, here, he's yours. <laughs> <laughs> and you wanted the crying to stop. If there was anything you could do to get the crying to, to stop. So the image that he gives us of there is of a baby that's content. What does it mean to be content? Content means you have everything that you need and you don't need more. There's a, a famous phrase in the New Testament that gets misinterpreted all the time and uh, tried to say something it doesn't mean. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote it to the Philippians and he said, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you've seen that on t-shirts and people will talk about it like, I, I can lose weight. Yes, you can through Christ. Yeah, you, you sure can. I, I can get better at my finances. Sure, you can. The meaning of that, though, if you read the verses back before that, what Paul is saying, he says, I've learned to be content in any circumstance that I'm in, whether I have plenty or whether I have not enough, whether I'm happy or I'm unhappy. I've learned to content, learned to be content in any, any situation. And this is the secret, because I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I have, a, I have a power in me that enables me to get from here to there. So he gives us this image, and he says, okay, uh, this, is, this is where God wants to take you to, so that you could be content. And he gives us a practice inside of that because if you're going to be calm and you're going to be quiet, what do you have to do to be calm and quiet? You have to be calm and quiet. <laughs> you have to be silent. Now, that makes us uncomfortable because we don't like silence. We always have the radio on or we have the TV on or we have... Uh, some music playing in our earbuds or we have, you know, something, something. We don't like quiet because we're afraid that when the quiet happens that, we'll, that the ugly stuff will come up or maybe we'll have to face something about ourselves that we don't want to face. And we're afraid that it, the silence will overwhelm us. The psalmist says, no, no, no. The God of mercy and grace will meet you in your silence and will bring quiet and calm to your soul. But it makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Let me give you an illustration. Anybody uncomfortable yet? It's the silence. It's in the silence that God meets us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do uh, a little bit of a lab. Now, this is, this is a practice from Jesus. Jesus, uh, I, I read the Psalms again, and this was his practice. Mark records it this way, that early in the morning when it was still dark, Jesus would get up, and he would go to a solitary place. Now, I don't think that was a rocking chair that had been in his family for 125 years, but it was his spot. It was his zone. And there... He was quiet. Now, this is, this is if, you, if you follow the life and ministry of Jesus, this is one of the practices that he did over and over again. This was something he had on repeat. 
And we always look at Jesus and go, wow, what a marvelous person. How could he confront evil like that? How could he confront the bad guys like that? How did he was able to forgive people like that? How did he have such peace? How is he? I'll tell you how. Because he started from silence. He started and he was content. And if you want the peace that, that God intends for his people to have, if you want the contentment that God intends to put into your soul, then you need to do what Jesus did. This is his practice. And so you, if you want what somebody else has, do what they did. So if this is what Jesus did, and you want that in your life, you do what Jesus did. He was silent. So we're going we're gonna to do this as a lab. Tim's going to come up, and he's going to play uh, for a little bit. And on the back of your weekly is a, uh, a, this psalm, Psalm 133, written there. And I'm going to explain what to do with that here in a second. But I'm going to tell you something very practical that's going to happen to you as soon as you try to be silent. Some of you have done this before. Not many of you would be my guess. Uh, but you will always have this happen. And when it happens, I don't want you to go, man, something must be wrong with me. I just want you to be prepared for it so you'll know what to do. Uh, what happens when you are silent and you quiet everything down, you turn everything off and you shut down Facebook and you don't have your phone next to you and it's just you and God, what happens is you'll find all sorts of thoughts start to come into your mind. Oh, I got to go to the store and buy milk and eggs. Oh, that person made me mad. I really want to get them back. Uh, here's the list of things I need to do. Here, Oh, I, I forgot that one thing I did three years ago. That I, man, why did that happen? Uh, Henry Nouwen says that when we try to get silent, that our mind becomes like a banana tree full of monkeys. <laughs> and so what we have to do is we have to, we have to, one by one, take the monkeys out of the tree. So it's very helpful when you are silent is to take a piece of paper and a pen and have it with you. And when you begin to be silent and you find these thoughts coming into your head, unbidden, is you write them down. Oh, get eggs. Don't tell them off. <laughs> you just write down the things that come, and you take the monkeys out of the tree, one by one. And you sit there with God, and you let him bring the peace. Because I, I don't know if you believe this. I believe this my toes that when we pray God actually meets us and he's actually present and he actually wants to speak to us so you're, you're talking to the God who made you and who loves you and who can lift you higher than you've ever been so here's what we're going to do we're going to take this psalm and we're going to do something I'm going to ask you to do something that our staff does uh, during the week and we start our mornings this way um, we're going to do this, this very ancient practice. It's called Lexio Divina. It's a Latin word that means sacred reading. It's just a practice some people develop to help them hear the voice of God. And the way it goes is this. Is Tim's going to play in a minute. And what I want you to do is I want you to read slowly through that psalm three times. And the ancient guides, what they would say is you, you want to listen for the word or the phrase, the way they said it, and I like it, is, is that shimmers or jumps off the page or jumps out at you or it might be a word it might be a phrase it might be a sentence and as you read through that and that comes to mind you don't have to examine why that's the thing um, you just have to say I'm, I'm meeting with God and God wants to speak to me so maybe God's getting my attention through this when that word or phrase uh, comes to you I want you to underline or circle that word I should read it through three times and listen for that and then I want you to to quietly say okay God I'm listening. And then Tim's going to play for a little bit, and then he's going to cut out, and we're going to have about a minute of absolute silence. And then I'll pray, and we'll be done with our lab. Okay?
So Tim's going to pray. Take that out. Begin to read that three times over. Lord, we live in such a world of noise and pace uh, that to pause and to be quiet seems so foreign to us. So God, I pray for my friends who are new to this. Uh, 
show them as they practice this that this is uh, the way that you've interacted with your people for thousands of years. That the person they're attempting to follow and pattern their life after Jesus, that you, the risen Lord, that this was your practice. And we'd like the peace of God to pass our understanding, our ability to make sense of it and to guard our hearts and our minds. We'd like that so much. We'd like the anxieties in our hearts, in our souls, and in our emotions, and in our relationships to calm themselves down. Lord, more than anything, I think if we're honest, we want to be content. And we don't know how to get there. So, Lord, we give up the spinnaker of the world. We give up making our desires and our emotions the final answer and authority of our life. We, we replace those things with you as the Lord and the leader of our life. And so, Lord, take us from here to there. Take us to the place that you mean for us to go. We ask this in your name and all God's people said, amen. Well, we'd like to leave you with a word of blessing if you'd stand. And maybe you'd like to receive that blessing. You'll see people around you holding out their hands. That's just their way of saying, I'd like to receive that. If you're comfortable with that, please do that and receive this blessing uh, as you go. And may you know uh, the love of God for you, who knows how to get you from here to there. May you know that you're sent now to love God, to love people in his name, to serve the people he loves so much. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See ya.